That's it. That was your cue. What was my cue? That right there. You're supposed to say, Masterpiece Audio Theatre Presents. Masterpiece Audio Theatre Presents. That's right. Then you say, Myths from Around the World. Myths from Around the World. Okay, and a stranded in the middle of nowhere podcast. A stranded in the middle of nowhere podcast? Well, where are we? How are we going to get home? I'm going to get scared. Everything will be all right, trust me. This is a continuation from the Dog Days of Podcasting 2022. Hello and welcome to Masterpiece Audio Theatre. Come, sit down around the fire, grab a chair, grab a blanket, grab a loved one. Here is part 11 of A Christmas Carol, where you get to meet my part, Tiny Tim. God bless us, everyone. Part 11, let's go. After tea, they had some music, for they were a musical family and knew what they were about. When they sung a glee or catch, I can assure you, especially Topper, who could growl away in the bass like a good one and never swell the large veins of his forehead or even get red in the face over it. Scrooge's niece played well upon the harp and played, among other tunes, a simpler little air, a mere nothing you might learn whilst in two minutes which had been familiar to the child who fetched Scrooge from the boarding school, as he had been reminded by the ghost of Christmas past. When this strain of music sounded, all the things that the ghost had shown him came upon his mind. He softened more and more, and thought that if he could have listened to it often years ago, he might have cultivated the kindness of life for his own happiness with his own hands, without resorting to the sexton's spade that buried Jacob Marley. But they didn't devote the whole evening to music. After a while they played at forfeits, for it is good to be children sometimes, and never better at Christmas, when the mighty founder was a child himself. Stop! There was the first game of Blind Man's Bluff. Of course there was. And no more believed Topper was really blind than to believe he had eyes in his boots, my opinion is, that it was done a thing between him and Scrooge's nephew, that the ghost of Christmas present knew it, that the way he went after the plump sister and the lace tucker was an outrage on the credulity of human nature. Knocking down the fire irons, tumbling over the chairs, bumping up against the piano, smothering himself amongst the curtains wherever she went, there he was. He always knew where the plump sister was. He couldn't catch anyone else. If you'd fallen up against him, as some of them did on purpose, he would have made a feint of endeavouring to seize you, which could have been an affront to your understanding, and would have instantly slid off in the direction of the plump sister. So often she cried that it wasn't fair, and it really was not. But when at last he caught her, when, in spite of all her silken rustlings and her rapid flutterings past him, he got her into a corner whence there was no escape, then his conduct was the most excrapable. For his pretending not to know her, his pretending that it was necessary to touch her headdress and further to assure himself of her identity by pressing a certain ring upon her finger and a certain chain about her neck was vile, monstrous. No doubt she told him of her opinion of it when, another blind man being in the office, they were so confidentially together behind the curtains. Scrooge's niece was not one of the blind man's bluff's party, but was made comfortable in a large chair and a footstool in a snug corner where the ghost and Scrooge were close behind her. 
but she joined in the forfeit and loved her love to admiration with all the letters of the alphabet. Likewise, at the game of how, when, and where, she was very great, and to the secret of joy of Scrooge's nephew, beat her sisters hollow, though they were sharp girls too, as Topper could have told you. There might have been between twenty people there, young and old, but they all played, and so did Scrooge, for, wholly forgetting, in the interest that he had in what was going on, that his voice made no sound in their ears. He sometimes came out with his guesses quite loud, and very often guessed right too, for the sharpest needle, best Whitechapel, warranted not to cut in the eye, was not sharper than Scrooge blunt as he took his head to be. The ghost was greatly pleased to find him in this mood, and looked upon him with such favour, that he begged like a boy to be allowed to stay until the guests departed, but the spirit said that this could not be done. Here's a new game, said Scrooge. One half hour, spirit, only one! It was a game called Yes and No, where Scrooge's nephew had to think of something, and the rest must find out what, he only answering to their questions yes or no, as the case was. The brisk fire of questioning to which he was exposed elicited from him what he was thinking of, an animal, a live animal, rather a disagreeable animal, a savage animal, an animal that growled and grunted sometimes, and talked sometimes, and lived in London, and walked about the streets, and wasn't made to show off, and wasn't led by anyone, and didn't live in a menagerie, and was never killed in a market, and was not a horse, or an ass, or a cow, or a bull, or a tiger, or a dog, or a pig, or a cat, or a bear. At every fresh question that was put to him, this nephew burst into a fresh roar of laughter, and was so inexpressibly tickled that he was obliged to get up off the sofa, and stamp at last at the plump sister falling to a similar state, cried out, I found it! I found it! I know what it is, friend! I know what it is! What is it? cried Fred. It's your Uncle Scrooge! Which it certainly was. Admiration was the universal sentiment, though some objected that the reply to, is it a bear, ought to have been yes, inasmuch as an answer to the negative was sufficient to have diverted their thoughts from Mr. Scrooge, supposing that they had ever had any tendency that way. He has given us plenty of merriment, I'm sure, said Fred and it would be ungrateful not to drink to his health. Here's a glass of mulled wine, ready at our hand at the moment, and I say, Uncle Scrooge! Well, Uncle Scrooge, they cried, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to the old man, whatever he is, said Scrooge's nephew. He wouldn't take it from me, but he may have it nevertheless. Uncle Scrooge! Uncle Scrooge had imperceptibly become so gay and light of heart that he would have pledged the unconscious company in return and thanked them in an inaudible speech if the ghost had given him time. But the whole scene passed off in the breath of the last word spoken by his nephew, and he and the spirit were again upon their travels. Much they saw and far they went, and many homes they visited, but always with a happy end. The spirit stood beside sick beds, and they were cheerful, on foreign lands, and they were close at home, by struggling men, and they were patient in their greater hope, by poverty, and it was rich, in almshouse, hospital, and goal, in misery's every refuge, where vain man in his little brief authority had not made fast the door and barred the spirit out, he left his blessing and taught Scrooge his precepts. It was a long night, if it were only a night, but Scrooge had his doubts of this, because the Christmas holidays appeared to be condensed into the space of time they passed together. It was strange, too, that while Scrooge remained unaltered in his outward form, the ghost grew older, clearly older. Scrooge had observed this change, but never spoke of it. 
until they left the children's twelfth night party, when, looking at the spirit as they stood together in an open place, he noticed that his hair was grey. Her spirit's life so short? asked Scrooge. My life upon this globe is very brief, replied the ghost. It ends tonight. Tonight? cried Scrooge. Tonight at midnight, hark! The time is drawing near. The chimes were ringing three quarters past eleven at that moment. Forgive me if I am not justified in what I ask, said Scrooge, looking intently at the spirit's robe. But I see something strange, and not belonging to yourself, protruding from your skirts. Is it a foot or a claw? It might be a claw, for the flesh that there is upon it, was the spirit's sorrowful reply. Look here! From the foldings of its robe it brought two children, wretched, abject, frightful, hideous, miserable. They knelt down at its feet and clung upon the outside of its garment. Oh, man, look here, look, look down here, exclaimed the ghost. They were a boy and girl, yellow, meagre, ragged, scowling, wolfish, but prostrate too in their humility, where graceful youth should have filled their features out and touched them with its freshest tints. A stale and shriveled hand, like that of age, had pinched and twisted them, and pulled them to shreds. Where the angels might have sat enthroned, devils lurked and glared out menacingly. No change, no degradation, no perversion of humanity in any grade, through all the mysteries of wonderful creation, has monsters half so horrible and dread. Scrooge started back, appalled, having them shown to him this way. He tried to say that they were fine children, but the words choked themselves, rather than to be parties to a lie of such enormous magnitude. Spirit, are they yours? Scrooge could say no more. They are man's, said the spirit, looking down upon them. And they cling to me, appealing from their fathers. This boy is ignorance, this girl is want. Beware of them both, and all of their degree. But most of all, beware of this boy. For now on his brow I see what written word is doom. Unless the writing be erased, deny it, cried the spirit, stretching out his hands towards the city. Slander those who tell it to ye. Admit it for your facetious purposes, and make it worse, and abide the end. Have they no refuge or resource? cried Scrooge. Are there no prisons? said the spirit, turning on him from the last time with his own words. Are there no workhouses? The bell struck twelve. Scrooge looked about him for the ghost and saw it not. As the last stroke ceased to vibrate, he remembered the prediction of old Jacob Marley, and lifting up his eyes beheld the solemn phantom, draped and hooded, coming like a mist along the ground towards him. Studios presentation of the Myths from Around the World, a special Dog Days of Podcasting contribution. Sound clips are from GarageBand and can be found in their samples library. The stories that we have shared can be found at gutenberg.org. We can be found on Facebook on the Masterpiece Audio Theatre page, on nimlast.org, or you can email us at j at jglangchance.com. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 unported license. Thanks for joining us.